Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Ball. Thank you for being with us. This session brought to you by Lumit.com. Check them out for financing for senior housing, hospitals, uh, for all types of multifamily. Uh, they're great. They have all types of programs. Learn more at Lumit.com. Well, today we're going to talk about multifamily. In fact, we're going to talk about student housing because student housing has really been an interesting sector for folks. A lot of people in it love it uh, and are thinking about getting in it. Should you? How is it performing? Uh, what's happening with new supply rates, performance, and what does the future look like? Please welcome my guest. It's Carl Whitaker. He's Director of Research and Analysis with RealPage. Carl, good to see you. Likewise. Always a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, thank you. Well, it seems like uh, when we think about multifamily today, some of our first thoughts are, wow, we had such high rent increases year after year after year. Obviously, that had to, to slow down or, or stop. And it seems like we'll do a show for next week, right, where we'll talk about multifamily. But, uh, you know, it seems like in a lot of the markets, we're in the southeast, uh, the, uh, rent growth is kind of stalled and kind of leveled out for the most part with some properties. But what about student housing? Is it the same story? Yeah, it's really interesting. Student housing is uh, coming off some of the record rent growth that it saw last year, but by historic norms, uh, student housing rent growth is still tracking way ahead of the 2010s average. You know, if you think of that as a distinct cycle versus the post-2020 cycle, um, and really what we're seeing is that student housing rent growth year over year still hovering around 6%. Again, that's a little bit off the 8% or so that it was seen at the peak, but um, stable demand and uh, not as much supply pressure in the student space is translating to pretty pretty strong performance. And and that, that's interesting because I, I think most people would have thought that you wouldn't still see those type of increases um, with you know people fighting inflation and some uh, uh, folks concerned that that uh, retail spending might might slow down because of inflation, uh, but for rents to go up that much annually, so is the is the real reason just lack of new supplies? It's just a barrier of entry in these markets. Yeah, it's a, it's it's primarily um, well, I guess it's it's really two faceted. The first component is that we've seen demand uh, in student um, stabilize post pandemic, but more so than that, uh, we've seen a slow but steady increase in the amount of absorption or demand uh, in the space. For instance, as of March 2024, you've got about 14,000 more leased beds than you did as of March 2023. So it's about a two percentage point increase. So you've seen the, the demand side of the equation improve a little bit, but more so than that, you've seen the supply side really subside. And just to, again, kind of give you some numbers here, 2010's decade, Typical year saw about forty to forty-five thousand new student beds. Post twenty twenty, we're seeing more like thirty thousand new beds deliver. So that reduction in supply pressure uh, has really helped rent growth start to recover as a result. And I think the other component that feeds into this too is that uh, throughout the twenty tens, you saw a lot of campuses that, candidly speaking, were just overbuilt. And the University of Mississippi comes to comes to mind as an example. The University of Missouri comes to mind as an example. 
well, they haven't seen any new supply now for five, six, seven years in some instances, while enrollment has also seen a little bit of an increase. So it really goes back to that point of, you know, supply demand 101, when demand improves, even if modestly in the absence of new supply, then you see rent growth correspondingly strong. So I think that's really the uh, the baseline fundamentals that you're seeing in the space today. And is occupancy trending uh, about the same? Yeah, occupancy is, we're looking at probably about 935 to 94% occupancy in 2024. Last year was just a little bit above 94%. Going into the 2020s, occupancy had got to where uh, a normal year was in the upper 91% range. So, you know, a 300 basis point improvement in your typical occupancy translates to much stronger rent growth. And, you know, to, to, to use the conventional space as a counterpart, as occupancy is now at a 10-year low, we're seeing that rent growth corresponds uh, accordingly. So it's, you know, rent growth is always downstream of occupancy and occupancy is always downstream of supply and demand. So I think that that kind of hopefully helps characterize what's happening in the student space right now. Okay. And, and I assume you're not really seeing any increase uh, in new supply coming up, right? It's still dismal. Yeah, so the new supply on the student side, um, we're forecasting about 30 to 35-ish thousand beds for the next two to three years. Uh, now, one thing I will say, and it's kind of interesting, you know, with where the interest rate environment is today, we're seeing multifamily starts are plummeting, you know, multifamily, conventional multifamily, I should say. Those starts are down 40 to 50% in most markets year over year. But in student, it's more of a a, a stable number since 2020. And I think really a lot of that points back to the idea that some of those campuses in the 2010s were overbuilt. At a certain point, there's only a finite level of supply that campuses can support because your demand base is bound to that university's enrollment. So I think 30,000 is more of a, a point of equilibrium that we'll see moving forward just simply based on enrollment numbers. Hmm, interesting. So then your forecast for student housing is what? So for 2024, we think that we're going to continue to see some some normalization off of these record highs. Uh, 2025, I think that that continues. Uh, you know, it's always hard to put an exact number on rent growth and occupancy, but I think if we're looking at 93.5% occupancy, 3 to 4% rent growth, that's probably a, a, a reasonable bound. Now by 26 and 27, I think that those numbers start to come back even closer to historically normal, um, call it two to two to three, two, two to three percent rent growth, uh, ninety-two to ninety-three-ish percent occupancy, and I think some of the reason for that is that over the past couple quarters or past couple years, you've seen some of those schools that weren't historically strong performers um, achieving decent rent growth and decent occupancy. You know, as the saying goes, "Rising tide lifts all boats." Some of those historically lagging campuses. We're getting a little bit of a lift from just the overall sector. I think going forward, and we're already starting to see this, but going forward, you're going to see some of those lagging campuses uh, start to pull back from the pack a little bit more. And then on the strong side, I don't think you're going to see as many schools getting six, eight, ten percent rent growth like we've seen the past couple of years. I think you're going to see that number start to normalize too. So it's not that the it's not that the sector is poised for a widespread slowdown or or even softness, it's just more so normalization and moderation uh, should continue to be the name of the game. Yeah, that's right. So what are some of the markets that uh, are kind of jumped out as doing really well? 
Yeah, it's it's funny. We, we, we get this question a lot on, hey, what school should I be looking at or what schools am I not looking at that I should be? And I think generally speaking, most people are already looking at the schools that are going to be the long-term favorites. And, uh, you know, there's it's always hard to classify in student housing because the campus level readings can be so disparate. But generally speaking, it's the schools you see on Saturday, um, uh, uh, college football season. It's the schools that, you know, if you're watching the draft this past weekend, those schools that many of the draftees were getting selected from, it's those big brand name Power Five institutions. And, uh, you know, there's a little bit of added strength, we think, in some of these fast population growth states, you know, the mountain region, the Sun Belt, et cetera. That's a pretty simple explanatory thing there, just as population grows, so does the 18 to 24-year-old cohort. And that's going to be your student housing demand base. However, it's not always quite that simple because you look at a state like Michigan or Ohio that doesn't have that 18 to 24-year-old population growth, but Michigan and Ohio State can be two great investment options. Uh, Wisconsin, another good example there. So it's not as simple as just population growth, but that is a big predictor uh, in where the near-term strength will be. But I think more so than that, it's uh, perceived institutional quality uh, again, kind of that power five versus non-power five uh, differentiation. And Carl, what are you seeing on trends for uh, cap rates in uh, student housing today? So cap rates remain a little bit higher in the student sector than they do the conventional sector. That's not necessarily abnormal. We saw throughout the 2010s decade, you know, call it a, a, a 40 to 60 basis point premium on the student side. Uh, where cap rates, you know, in the conventional sector, if they were at 5%, student housing, they'd be at 5.5%. Um, they have compressed over the past couple years in line with just the broader um, uh, the broader residential space. Over the past year, we've seen some, I guess, decompression. So you've seen those cap rates start to move up a little bit. But the one thing that I'll say that maybe changes the uh, delta between student and conventional cap rates over the coming couple of years is that with more institutional investor interest in the student housing space, there may be more deal uh, capital chasing uh, student housing just as an overall share of total multifamily or total residential um, capital allocation. So I think that cap rates in student may not remain 50 to 60 basis points above the conventional space for the long haul, but I do think you're going to see a little bit of a, a premium there just because it is a smaller, still kind of young, uh, and certainly more nuanced sector. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly a, a different uh, animal for, as far as managing and uh, uh, those kinds of properties, isn't it? Yeah, very different in terms of management and, and what residents want. You know, so one thing I'll throw out here just kind of as a, and maybe going down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but something I think is kind of interesting is that uh, when we attend these student housing conferences, we hear oftentimes that Today's student renters are the conventional renters of tomorrow. So in some ways, it can kind of be a test kitchen to see what types of property technology, uh, what type of resident preferences that the students have, and seeing how that translates as they make their move into the conventional market. Now, ultimately, student housing renters still make up a small portion of the overall um, rental housing market, but still, it's kind of a neat little uh, a, a neat little anecdote to see what lands with the student renters today and see if that dictates the property technology trends of the resident of tomorrow. Uh, well, good. So we'll have more um, uh, lazy river floating pools and, <laughs> and, and 
and the swim up bars. <laughs> I see it coming. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting when you see the the evolution of these amenities at the student properties. You know, certainly certainly different than the student property that I imagine you and I lived in years ago. <laughs> yeah, I think mine was called El Dumpo. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. Well, what would you leave the audience to think about, Carl, related to uh, student housing? Yeah, I think student housing is a, a good sector to consider if you're looking at alternative investments um, as a, a bit of a portfolio diversifier. Uh, you know, we've heard over the past couple of years that student housing is a resilient space. We hadn't really seen that get tested throughout the 2010s when, you know, economic times were really good. Well, we saw in 2020 through 2022 that, yes, performance did normal, did, did compress as a result of the pandemic. But the sector remained relatively resilient in the grand scheme of things. So I think if you're if you're looking for a segment of rental housing that can kind of round out your portfolio, offer a bit of diversification, then student housing may make sense. The challenge is that university level fundamentals are so drastically different that you'll definitely want to do your due diligence when looking at what universities to invest in. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, good point. And Carl, thanks for joining us. We appreciate the uh, insight. Perfect. Thanks, Michael. Always a pleasure. All right. And thank you for joining us around the country. Please let us know what you think. And uh, thank you in advance for sharing the show with others. You know, pay it forward. And until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh. And join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bullet Realty. For commercial brokerage sales and leasing in the Southeast U.S., contact our show host by email at michael at bullrealty.com. By Commercial Agent Success Strategies, 21 incredible one-hour agent training videos. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. And by Lument. For senior housing, health care, and multifamily financing, visit Lument. For more podcasts and videos, subscribe and visit CREshow.com.